0: Hello, happy Christmas and welcome to episode 10 of The Week That Really Was with John McGurk and David Quinn. This week, it is Christmas time. All that is old is new again, much like our new T-shirt, Leo Varadkar, uh, who was once and has, we have, we're have we living through, folks, the second coming of Mr. Varadkar's premiership of Ireland. Um, it was an exciting day in the Dáil last Saturday, mainly, I think, for all the people participating in it. I'm not sure it was exciting for everybody else watching, um, but we had... Days of rumours and chat and who would get what job and we ended up, David, with very little change at all.
1: No, a few junior ministers announced today. Beeholl Martin goes into um, foreign affairs and Simon Cofley from foreign affairs into Department of Enterprise, um, and not much else besides that. Um, uh, but you know what strikes me about it is, um, this is a government with a very weak electoral mandate. Um both parties did badly uh, in February 2020, in the election of that year. Fine Gael was predicted to do quite well. Fianna Fáil was predicted to do quite well. And they both did badly. Uh, they managed to cobble together a coalition with the help of the Greens. Um, but no, you wouldn't say they had a resounding uh, electoral yeah, mandate. Uh, uh,
0: you, they don't have any electoral mandate. I'll, I'll be stronger than that. And mm. the reason they don't have any electoral mandate is because during that election campaign, I can remember it as I, it's one of those things. It's like that time back remember back in 2008 when Noel Dempsey and Dermot Hearn stood outside government buildings and said, the IMF is not here. <laughs> and My yeah. father to this day, swear we would swear that as you, if they were on TV, you could actually see the IMF men walking in behind them. It's it, one that's stuck in the imagination. But for me, I have an image of E. Hall Martin standing outside, I think it was a school, with a microphone stuck in his face, being asked a direct question, Will you put Finnegale back into government and saying no? A vote for Fianna Fáil is a vote to get Finnegale out of government and a vote for change. Now, we don't like to use strong language on this show. So I won't use any words here that begin with L. But I will simply say that Mr. Martin made a statement that was patently false. He went back on it. And to me, he deceived the public into voting for the government that we e- don't really have, David. So I don't feel that he has any kind of electoral mandate. Coalition, I mean, the yeah. political will come up with all sorts of yes about oh, the numbers have to work and so on and so forth. No, it was a
1: promise made and a promise broken. You see, I remember distinctly the first leader debate, uh, between Michal Martin and Leo Atker, and uh, Mary Lou MacDonald kind sort of infamously wasn't allowed to take part, and uh, it was on TV3, and Pat Kenny was hosting. I remember sitting at home and tweeting that night. Uh, This is really Tweedledum Tweedledee stuff, and I think it's only going to benefit Mary Lou McDonald because people will be looking at the two of them and saying you know, this isn't a proper debate because let's face it, Hall Martin has been um, uh, and Fianna Fall have been in this confidence and supply arrangement with uh, Fine Gael for the last few years. So they haven't been a proper opposition party at all. So stop pretending, to be opposi- stop pretending to be the opposition to Fine Gael. You have been in a de facto coalition already for several years. And people sitting at home watching this and thinking, hmm, okay, this isn't really a proper leader debate. Um, the re-leader of the opposition isn't here. And I think that probably that night began to swing the momentum towards Sinn Féin. It was a huge mistake for the two of them uh, to uh, not allow her in. But then they're thinking if we do allow her in, then she is going to look like the official opposition or or the unofficial opposition. So they didn't know what to do, but they were caught one way or the other. Leah Varadkar had a bad election. Leah Varadkar has never been properly elected as Taoiseach. Of course, he took over from Enda Kenny when Enda Kenny resigned. Um, He won the parliamentary party vote. He badly lost the um, rank and file members to vote by, I think, two to one to uh, Simon Coveney. So you're not talking about a man who has faced voters and done well, to put it mildly. And it's been, I'd say it's 2011, uh, since we have had a government with a strong electoral mandate, because it was confidence and supply, then it was a coalition government that nobody really wanted. And now we've changed to Taoiseach like musical chairs. And it reminds me of what has been happening in Italian politics for years, which is the same kind of thing. You you have a prime minister who's imposed by the EU. You have a prime minister who the parties um, in the parliament agree to, like uh, Mario Draghi recently, but not resulting from an actual general election until Giorgio Maloney more or less won the recent election. Um, But she's the first politician in years in Italy to have anything resembling a proper electoral mandate. And we're in that kind of territory now. And yet we laugh at all these countries and we presume ourselves to be um, vastly morally and politically superior to them. So what
0: I'm hearing from you now, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you don't necessarily think that today's big announcement of the new climate plan uh, and by the way, when I say today, we're recording this on Wednesday, not our usual Thursday, folks, because it's it's almost Christmas and we all want to get extra time off. But you don't think today's big announcement, David, of, of the the extra climate plan, um, the new climate plan, is 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 really supported by the public? I'm getting that sense from what you're saying.
1: Well, this is the Christmas present, isn't it? That's been unveiled a few days early by the government. So the new national climate action plan, and uh, things like um, uh Hundreds of thousands of us driving electric cars by uh, 2030. Um, and they're talking about things like no more free um, uh, car park spaces. So, for example, if your company is giving you such a space, you won't have it anymore in a few years' time. They want to uh, have a way more public transport, laudable in itself, but is a realistic. Um, all kinds of major plans for our lives. They want half a million homes to be retrofitted to the highest standard between now and 2030. Um, loads and loads of renewable energy. Not quite saying how to get getting there. Not saying how much it'll cost. Not saying how realistic it is. But major changes planned for our lives. and, and, and The agenda is absolutely massive, massively ambitious. Not really run by the people. Um, they can't pretend that this was a major election issue in 2020. It simply wasn't. Um, never been properly run past the people. So it's like all these other things that they're doing. Uh, no proper electoral mandate. I had, um,
0: I, I was reading today a very good tweet, actually, by your friend and mine, um, Keith Redmond, former Fine Gael councillor from, from Malahide, who's who, something we should have on the show, by the way, David, at some debate.
1: I've, weirdly I don't think I've ever met him but I'm obviously familiar with him well, it's, it's, it's and
0: it's his presence man. out there as you say Father head, he's great fun <laughs> <laughs> Would love him. but um, he sent a tweet today where he said uh, we're living through an odd age where our dear leaders are actively trying to make life harder for their people and, and that to me sums it up like everything in this plan is designed to make life a little bit harder a little bit more miserable don't have a car take a bus don't have a diesel car, get a new fancy, heavy, clunky, expensive, sure. hard to run, unreliable electric car. You know, don't don't have cheap energy, have expensive energy. Everything is designed to make Spend your a fortune life a,
1: retrofitting your house. Yes.
0: Um everything is designed to make life a little bit harder, a little bit more miserable, a little bit more grey, sucking the sucking sucking the the resources away from you one little week at a time. And this laughable claim that's in the plan, and I have to laugh at it, which is, I think Mr. Varadkar said that we would be the generation to be energy independent by 2050 or some sort of thing. I mean, I have news for the for the teacher. You cannot be energy independent by definition if you are building your energy grid on wind energy, because you are dependent on the wind. And on the 100 days a year or so, when the wind decides not to show up, you are entirely dependent on somebody else for your energy or you stick with hated, bad, old, evil fossil fuels or option three, uh, you go for nuclear. Now, I presume when he says energy independent, he he envisages um, filling the gaps where the wind energy comes from by importing horrible nuclear power from France. So it's not horrible. They build it. But that is not energy independence. That's being energy dependent on the French. So, I mean, some of the claims in here, which, by the way, won't get this, won't get, won't get, you know, we complain about the media here every week, but that's really why we're doing this podcast. Is because, mm. in large part, they're so useless. We'll come on to more of that later on. But, but you know, this this wool, and um, I should really say bullshit more often on this podcast. Our leaders know what I'm saying. Um, is just goes completely unchallenged. Um, when you make nonsense claims like this, and I mean, everybody knows uh, the car industry. If you go through Simi Simi, which is the is basically the auto sales organization for for car dealers. And they produce reports every year. They email me quarterly reports on new car sales, old car sales. Electric car uh, sales in Ireland are nowhere near hitting their targets for us to have one in every three vehicles be electric by 2030. It's just not happening, which is why the Greens are now pushing for an active ban on all other cars to force people to buy these crap crap things um, by that, that time period. So the plan isn't working. Everyone knows the plan isn't working, but we're all pretending we have a plan because this is the new religion.
1: Sorry. You had a very good piece. That's fine. You had a very good piece about um, media, sorry, government funding of media to promote climate policies. You might elaborate on that.
0: Yes. so if you you didn't read my piece, folks, which I I totally understand why you wouldn't. Um, I'm kidding. You absolutely should be reading my pieces. But um, if you didn't read it, the government announced this week was it, was it several million quid? Um, It might be five. Five million, five million in quid for our friends in the media. Mm. And the purpose of this funding was to produce programs that, and this is a d- direct quote, it stuck with me, that will promote behavioral change in the public related to climate change. So in other words, the media are now to be paid to produce 25 programs or series in the coming year that are specifically designed to, number one, convince you that the government's climate change policy is right and necessary, and B, convince you to change your behaviour to make it easier for the government to enact those policies, which is, and I, I made this point in the piece, it is the Oxford English Dictionary definition of propaganda. It is the Green Party's ministers in government handing money to the media for that media to produce material posing as news which is actually uh, an advertisement for the government. And this is going to come through your local radio channels. They got a chunk of money. It's going to come through independent producers making shows for, for for channels like Virgin Media. Some of it naturally is going to come at you through the state broadcaster, which is state funded anyway. I mean, this is... And it should have people open arms because we cannot have a democracy where the where the, the media is is taking money to promote government messages through the news and then also pretending that it is an independent watchdog on what the government is doing. I was very like, so go on. I'm just going to say, I do not know how any journalist worthy of the salt can work for an organisation, have the professional lack of integrity to work for an organisation that is taking the government shilling to issue propaganda to the public. By all means, write for yourself an opinion piece saying we need to do far more than the government is doing on climate change. That's legitimate. But taking money from the government to promote government policy that's not journalism. Get into the advertising business, folks, because that's what you're doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're um in section A of a media organization and your job has nothing to do with reporting climate policy, then you're preserved from this. But if you're in a section that has to do with climate policy and you know you're and you're taking money from the government to promote the government message, I just don't see how that's proper journalism. Well, um, well. It, it's a bit like what was happening during COVID, or a lot like it. Um media receiving huge amounts of money from the government to essentially confirm government policy in respect to COVID and uh, make sure that dissent and proper questioning gets more or less suppressed. I,
0: uh, I'll i give you an example of that because the piece we reported today concerns, I think, a reasonably well-known guy, Paul Trevo, mm. um, runs Trevo's restaurant in Killarney, a fantastic uh, place, a reputedly fantastic place, I should say, I've, I
1: haven't yet eaten there, it's on my list.
0: I was, was talking not...
1: during the COVID debate about re- re- about restrictions on hospitality. Bear in mind, this time last year, um, only limited numbers could go into a pub or restaurant, and you had to be out of a pub by eight pm. Oh, that's it right. Was only this time last did, year? Did you still
0: have to pay nine euro to have a pint and eat some sausages with it? Or was that I, can't, I can't think be.
1: the science. I think the science had changed by then. You see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, that's probably why Paul was invited on to Eating with the Enemy, a show of which I myself am an alumnus. Actually, I did, a, did I a... was invited and said no. That was grand. I had dinner with um, your, your man, I can't remember his name, from Have a Point. Very nice fellow. We had a, we had a nice dinner. Agreed. Uh, dis- we disagreed agreeably, which I think is the point. Martin the Collins? Point. Martin Collins, the very man. Mm. Uh, again, lovely dinner, lovely show. But Paul Trayvall was on this, and in the course of his dinner that argument came up about climate change and climate change policy. And Paul was very forceful because he takes a similar view, I believe, without one words in his mouth to you and I on this, David, which is that it's it's going too far. It's doing more harm than good. It's not going to save the planet anyway. Um, and we're in the grip of a bit of a sort of maniac. Um, and he had this argument. And in Paul's view, he did very well in that argument. And then yesterday, the 20th of December, he got a phone call from the company Animal TV Productions, which produces Eating of the Enemy, to tell him that his segment had been dropped because, uh, and this is, again, I'm attributing these words to Paul because that's what he told us. The party told him that he had done so well that they felt the segment would be a bit boring, that he'd he'd been too strong on the climate issue. And Gary Kavanagh happened to say to him, you don't know that animal TV productions were given, as it happens, €470,000 in government funding to promote climate change yesterday, and Paul was taken aback. And so, obviously, we did that story because the timing is interesting, and we'll say no more than that. The timing is interesting, and I, I, I just want to go back to my point in general about the media taking money from government, which is that it should undermine our trust in the decisions made by the media, the reasons the media take certain decisions, the reasons journalists write certain stories, and
1: as you mentioned, David, it's the same. It was the same during COVID. You see, what should happen? Any program made with government funding to effectively promote the government's view on climate change should say that right at the beginning and then remind people at the end who is paying for this program and why they are paying for it i oh. think that is absolutely crucial so they'll show there's a conflict of interest here i would telling you about it up front
0: they, but they, they won't they will they will they will cover their asses on that one and i use the because at the end of the show at the end of the credits there'll be some little like Big screen up for three seconds at the very end Blink, of the credits in association with the government
1: of ireland that's what, is what yeah that's I what discovered. they call hidden in full view yes um but you see just to go back a couple of steps um so climate policy are you and me saying do nothing no any more than during the pandemic we have said do nothing uh but the question all the time is what is proportionate and what are the trade-offs involved. I mean, this is a kind of a bugbear of mine, always what's proportionate and what are the trade-offs and be honest with people about the trade-offs involved. So if you're spending a fortune on um, some aspect of climate policy, um, subsidizing electric cars, subsidizing retrofitting the homes, but you're also telling people to spend a fortune on both things, that's obviously money that could be spent elsewhere. And you've also got to say, well, okay, what is the real effect of this going to be on global temperatures? And of course, the answer is, is absolutely nothing. OK, we're setting a moral example, but are we really setting a moral example? Does anybody really pay attention? Now, again, this is not to say we should do nothing, but it is to say whatever we do should be proportionate and we should explain properly the trade-offs. What are we sacrificing in terms of health spending or tax reductions or construction of social housing in order to make way for this? That needs to be explained to people. And also, sorry, John, as during COVID, there are many models about climate change and many scenarios from best-case scenario to worst-case scenario. And you can say the science is more on the side of this than that because they are produced by the same scientists and in the case of the climate um, you know, scenarios by the uh, United Nations Panel on Climate Change. So you're not being more scientific when you say we're going to keep on flagging the worst-case scenario. You've got to be honest enough, like during COVID, to say the worst-case scenario might turn out to be the case, but you could completely overshoot with climate policy by assuming the worst case scenario. And you've got to tell people uh, there are other scenarios as well.
0: I'll go further because I, I, I'm sorry, this is a bugbear of mine. And I am going to now outline my views on this because people deserve my views. And I'm going to be honest about them. And I want to reiterate there are my views. They're not your views, David. They're mine. The whole thing is a farce. It is a farce from top to bottom. I'll tell you something.
1: You mm-hmm. mean climate policy?
0: I because... mean the whole, the whole shebang, the climate industry. That's what I mean. Because you do believe global uh,
1: global warming is happening, correct? I,
0: I I believe the climate changes. It has always changed. It always will change. Um, I, it, it may ch- be changing faster. Human activity may have something to do with that, but I do not trust anything I hear on it. And the reason I don't trust anything I hear on it is because it is all state funded. You know, the entire industry of climate scientists, funded by governments lavishly, billions of dollars globally in taxpayer money thrown at these people. Climate If you want to tell your kid what industry should he get into? What would be a job for life? Tell him to be a climate scientist. And by the way, if our activist, if a scientist, if this yep. same science was being funded to the exact same degree um, by Shell, Statoil and the big oil companies, no one would trust it. But well, because it's state funded, we trust it. We wouldn't trust it because we say, oh, these people are all on the gravy train. They're all taking the money from the, the oil companies. But we throw taxpayers money at them. All of a sudden, that doesn't influence them. They're morally pure as the driven snow, David. They would never exaggerate or become alarmist or raise issues that might or, provoke...
1: Or, or even simply suffer from confirmation bias because you're so different. deeply invested that you want to believe this stuff and you would look for evidence that confirms it. That's what we all do. And that's why you need people to red team everything.
0: Yeah, and The, the, the other issue, David, which is I am uh, shortly about to enter my fifth decade of life and this drum has been beaten my whole life for four decades. The, the polar ice caps were going to be gone by 2013. The polar bears were going to be dead. There's more of them than ever. You know, we, yeah. you know, We were going to be, at one point, New York was going to be underwater by the year 2000. There should be no more Bangladeshis left.
1: Micronesia should be gone. If you oh, believe... Well, yeah, the likes it, of Al Gore and his for, apocalyptic predictions. Every of year of my life,
0: every year of my life, David, we've had five years left to save the planet. Five years. I mean, Prince Charles, and now his majesty the king, so I'd be more respectful. But when he was the Prince of Wales, he was a clown every couple of years. If there's eighteen months, or the situation will be irreversible. That was in two thousand and four. So it's a it's a farce, first of all, because I mean they are not the boy that cried wolf. They are the the, the armada of clowns who won't stop yelling wolf, mm, mm. Uh, even though they are consistently wrong. I mean, if any other if any other field of science was as persistently wrong over as persistent period of time as climate science, climate science, climate climate scientists are mm-hmm. nobody would take it seriously you see
1: i I'm do um, you see i do believe global warming is happening i mean i know you're not denying global warming is happening i believe a substantial component of it is uh caused by human beings um and our economic activities and what have you but we don't know to what extent
0: I, I, it's I should, happening I,
1: and, and and again um what are the correct mitigation and adaptation strategies and can we overshoot or indeed can we undershoot? What's proportionate? What are the trade-offs? These I, are the questions, even if you believe the worst-case scenarios. I want to
0: say, say because uh, I want to say there's another element to my views here. Obviously, we need to stop putting plastic into the ocean. We need to stop mm-hmm. killing whales. We need to stop poaching elephants and cutting off their tusks and making little ornaments with them. And we industry. ought
1: to try to move over to renewables, if it could be done, in a proper, efficient way that doesn't send of, of energy course. prices through the roof what? and doesn't lead to power cuts and I... doesn't lead, by the way, to too much land being handed over to solar panels and to wind farms. Because, again, there's a trade-off there. How much, how much potentially arable land are you handing over? What
0: I object to is the notion that... We are all going to be underwater by 2050, which which some people clearly apparently seem to believe and which is causing massive anxiety, which is producing young people who feel it is necessary to ruin their lives by by getting arrested for defacing artworks to try and save the planet, which is making millions of dollars for for some people in selling that message, which is creating massive subsidized industries. By the way, it's not just the climate scientists. It is. Do do people in Ireland know, because the media never reports it, how much we spend on wind energy? We have, over the last 10 years, spent something in the region of 10 billion euros subsidizing the erection of windmills. It's an extortionate amount of money. And again, nobody ever asks, well, are the people receiving that money perhaps incentivized a little bit to drive up the problem or, or exaggerate the problem or suggest that this has to be done or the world will burn? The the question of incentives in climate policy is never ever explored in the way it would be with anything else. And my final point, because I'm monopolizing the podcast, David, in relation to climate policy, is that even if you believe all of it, even
1: if the climate scientists are right, even if it's necessary
0: to do all of this,
1: we're the only. Yeah, but one about, yeah, but yeah, but again, the climate scientists right in what way? Because again, like during COVID, many models, many scenarios best case to worst case. Yep. So which scenario are we talking about here? Let's
0: let's say the worst case. Let's say mm. they're right in the worst case scenario. And if nothing is done, we'll all be swimming by 2032, say. Mm. It's happening anyway. China isn't going to do anything. The U.S. isn't going to pass a climate bill anything like the one we've just passed. The Brazilians are going to keep expanding their capital farms and cutting down the rainforest. Um, the Indians are going to keep building coal-fired power plants. Uh, we are here. Leading the world by an example, an example that nobody else wants to follow. It is bull. It just, just like you know. And, and I, I, and and by the way, everything that I have just said on this podcast, it is actively illegal to say on RTE. If you said this on RTE, they would cut your mic. Uh, that is their policy. You are not allowed to say it. You are not allowed to even question this or think about it, this is the national broadcaster that you pay for, and if somebody said, what about climate change, a fraction of what I've said, or even, David, what you've said, they mm-hmm. would cut your mic as a matter of policy.
1: But would yeah, they? It, is that true?
0: It's They are signed up to an organisation called Covering Climate Now, one of the co- principles of which is that, that no... Uh, material should be broadcast that in any way questions the consensus view of climate scientists, which is a very broad term because you can accept, as you do, some of their views and question the policy, but RTE interpreted it even as, as questioning the policy. The only criticism of Irish climate policy allowed in RTE, and if you don't believe me, watch their show, is that it's not going far enough or fast enough.
1: Yeah. No, and, 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 and by the way, I notice um, whenever there's an interview being done about the climate targets, they always add the words... Um, legally required or legally mandated. And, of course, legally required by who? Well, the government, um, its own law. There are certain, quote-unquote, international obligations, which we are going further than. So it is a policy, a law imposed by the government upon this country, again, without proper debate. And as you know, by the way, a couple of years ago, before, well, maybe three years ago, almost the entirety of the Iraqis voted over in a climate emergency now how many politicians since then have been living as though we're in a climate emergency have they stopped going on holidays abroad have they stopped driving their fossil fuel cars um have they retrofitted their homes have they minimized their use of mobile phones have they stopped eating meat like hell they have okay the way, they, go- so they are not behaving like it's a climate emergency
0: again we're mon- monopolizing my other issue with this policy this whole issue is that there are no achievable or measurable we're doing all of this we will never know whether it was success or whether it was a failure because just like covid you know when when uh we got when there wasn't tens of thousands of people dead and you said lockdown went too far they could say oh well the people only didn't die because of you know, our lockdown if if they are wrong but the the climate projection, if the Arctic doesn't melt, if the sea level doesn't rise, if we all don't go extinct and go three heads or whatever is going to happen, it will just be, well, we all started driving electric cars, another fantastic triumph for the government. That is, that, that's what drives me batty about it. There is absolutely no scenario in which it will ever be conceded that any of this nonsense was, no, was unfalsifiable. Unfalsifiable. Well, well, having... it's religion is what it is, and and I say that you know with with all respect to established religions, mm. which actually have some tradition behind them, and the people people in them know that they're in a religion and know that their views are based on faith. This mm. is faith based by people who who are far more zealous than the crusaders at the height of their power,
1: and are using the law to impose all kinds of things on us and uh, and um, lifestyle changes which liberals are normally supposed to object to the state doing. But John, having um dealt now at some length with a one completely uncontroversial issue. Let's move on to another non-controversial <laughs> issue which is what has been happening in Ratkeel. Right. And I and and uh, by the way, my mother um my late mother is a ward from Ratkeel. Um so strong family connection to the town. Um her mother and father um her mother ran a shop on the main street of Ratkeel, and her father um had a harness making business um alongside the shop. So that's my roots in Ratkeel, family of jockeys on the ward side, and so on. Um, so obviously things that happened in Ratkeel are of interest to me. Um, and we see the reporting of um the scenes of mayhem in Ratkeel from a few nights ago when cars were being rammed into one another and debris is strewn across the street. And I think there was machetes found on the street as well. And what happens uh, at this time of year is the population of Red Kiel greatly swells when people of an unnamed community uh, come back to the town for Christmas because that's where they have their roots and they come back from the UK. And what you're noticing in the reporting, like I read a somewhat lengthy piece on the RT News website um, last night that didn't mention the word traveller once, and um, s- same with the um, uh, news reports on the 6-1 and 9 o'clock news. Now, why is this? Um, and the reason is the usual one, because probably the media, one of, it can't be more than one prime directive, but um, right up there, um, like in Star Trek, is this prime directive, never do anything that might lead to increased prejudice against a minority. All right. Now, that is not an unworthy thing in itself. Um, don't increase prejudice against minorities, including travelers or whoever it may be, uh, Muslims and so on. Um, the trouble is, though, it leads to, to a suppressing of honest and unfair discussion, discussion of any sort, because a particular minority um, might have problems and issues that are spilling over into the wider community and indeed those same issues might be causing internal harms within that community and you are not allowed to discuss them. So an example would be you know, certain Muslim parts of Britain or certain Muslim parts of France where you have kind of strong jihadist sympathies. That is not the same as a traveller thing, obviously. But no proper discussion of it, lest it may lead to um, anti-Muslim feeling. And of course, eventually what happens is uh, the problems get too big to ignore the politicians still try to ignore them. And it increases support for what I've called in previous shows, bootlegger parties who say, well, these these mainstream parties won't address your concerns. We will. And we saw what happened to Peter Casey at a presidential election. Of a few years ago. So the kind of dishonest covering up of debate for a worthy aim actually ends up ironically making things worse, in my uh,
0: opinion. I, was, I said a few minutes ago I had dinner with um, on eating with the enemy about two years ago now with Martin Collins from Palais mm. Point. A lovely fellow, we had a lovely conversation. And as it happens, I have, I have great sympathy for the majority of travellers who I do think get a bad name as a result of the activities of um a minority and mm-hmm. I, I, think that's, I think that's fair to say i think it, it's mm-hmm. fair, fair to acknowledge it and i think we should also acknowledge that the traveler community does have very genuine issues with access to healthcare access to education um issues with getting married at a very young age and so on and so forth um there there, there, there are many problems in that community and the state i think has a duty to assist but you know what where i get off the fence is that when i see martin's organization have a point on television talking about things like discrimination against travellers in pubs and hotels and restaurants. And the only explanation ever given is that we're all institutionally racist. You know, that there's institutional discrimination against travellers and that it's just apparently based on nothing. We just woke up one morning and didn't like travellers. That's the impression that's, that's given, that it's an
1: instinctive I, 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 I And you see, there's clearly a problem of um, feuds. I mean, what's going on? In what Kiel seems to be now, I saw the Irish Times suggesting that there was um, some dispute going on with um, some non-traveler outfit in Limerick. Um, but these really bitter family feuds exist and are a problem. Well, this is a first... problem that are spilling are spilling onto the streets. This isn't the first incident in the last couple of months. We
0: had the dreadful murder mm. in, in 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 County Kerry. Um, a couple of months ago you might recall
1: that's correct a grave uh, a grave grave side a grave um yard uh, and 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 that was essentially not well nobody's been
0: nobody's been convicted or anything for that so we'll say no more about it except that it it, it Mm. is understood it is understood to involved members of the traveling community but on this this is why there is discrimination against travelers and that is not to say that discrimination is justified that is not to say that discrimination is correct. That is not to say that some people aren't deeply hurt by it, because they are. But this is why. When you see footage, and there was footage circulating online over the weekend, of people in a bar literally smashing the bar to bits and smashing each other over the head with bottles and pool cues and everything else. When you see streets strewn with very expensive smashed vehicles, when you see that kind of trouble, and you see, see it emanating from that community, and you're, you've got a business and your, your future and your financial security depends on that business surviving. It is perfectly understandable, even if not socially ideal, why there are pub and restaurant and hotel owners in the country who, um, for whatever reason, are less likely to take traveller events.
1: But that, that element of the conversation see,
0: yeah. can't be had. Can't be, you can't have that. No.
1: Story. No, and it and it ends up frustrating the public, and then a guy like Peter Casey comes along and he says something clumsy about travellers, as he did in the, in the election campaign of a few years ago. But he ends uh, up getting twenty five percent of the vote. I'll
0: I, I interrupt you there because there's this notion that Peter Casey said something clumsy about travellers.
1: But I think said, it was because he said he said um, he said uh, that they are people who um, live in other people's land. Where's that effect?
0: He, I, I believe he referenced to a housing incident in, uh, in County Tipperary. And there was another housing incident that I'm personally aware of where, where, where people were given a house by the local authorities and ended up towing a horse in that. So there's all sorts of, of issues like that. And he, he, he referenced one of those issues, um, which was entirely accurate and got blamed for it. And he may also have said the thing about staying on other people's land or whatever, which, you know, fair enough, that is something But a lot of the issues that he raised were legitimate issues. Uh, mm-hmm. which were immediately written off as, oh, no, you're a dreadful racist for saying that. And people got their answer at the ballot box. He didn't win mm-hmm. because Peter is just he's not a good candidate, uh, I don't
1: think. Uh, it, what,
0: sorry, was that's a not huge British, It was but, a huge
1: vote for somebody nobody ever heard of before. Yeah,
0: I, I'm sorry. I want, to, I want to be absolutely fair to Peter. It's not that he's not a good candidate. He was not a polished candidate. He was new. He wasn't really aware of how to handle the media necessarily. Mm. He came across sometimes a little bit stuttery. But his message, resonated. Whether people liked it or didn't like it, it resonated strongly. And one of the reasons is because of cover-ups like this. Um, you know, uh, somebody said to me yesterday, I "See, you see, RT." I, I said to "You see, RT covered the uh, story in North Keel," and they said, "Oh yeah, covered it up." I mean, that's that's it. As I, I think I said on the podcast last week, the job of the media sometimes in this country is to cover stories
1: with a pillow until they stop moving. <laughs> that was another example. So I mean, we've discussed two. You know, very, very, very uh, outstanding examples this week, which is um, climate policy um, and the media getting paid to support government climate policy and not asking necessary questions about trade-offs, proportionality and so on. Um, and then the coverage of what was happening in Ratkeel, um and other similar incidents. And um, just the incapacity to have honest debates, discussions about these things, because it's so filled with objectives that actually... Um, are not journalistic objectives or ideological ones. It
0: strikes me sometimes that we live in two countries. I mean, I mean the, the media are performing a lot of time for themselves. They're watching each other. There's this idea that, you know, you have to be seen to cover things in the right way, the mature way, the, the reasonable way, the socially responsible way. And then there's WhatsApp. Then there's ordinary people in the country saying, do you know what happened in the was with travelers? And everyone's saying, yeah, we sort of suspected that. Uh, but you won't read it in the media because everyone understands that the media have to project a certain image of themselves. So it, it's such performative nonsense. And, and you know, that's just where we are. Was there anything else, David, we want well, to discuss before we I speak? Mean, uh, Happy Christmas.
1: Yeah, it kind of just neatly brings us on to just the last very brief thing, which is, um, again, Elon Musk and, uh, you know, uh, further revelations at Twitter about interference by, in this case, the FBI, essentially editorially interfering in Twitter so certain stories wouldn't get amplified, for example, mm. or actively suppressed like the Hunter Biden laptop one, and um, just a lack of coverage of this. All that gets covered about about Elon Musk is his erratic management of the company because he's still trying to work out what he's doing. It was a company that was fit, that, that was doing badly anyway. But the complete lack of interest in the Twitter files what? and the and the and a massive ideological interference and, and political bias, both by outside forces and internally, because so many people who work in Silicon Valley are completely woke, including most of the staff at Twitter. But the reason the media aren't alarmed by this is because they share the same biases. So they just yawn people and say not worth not worth covering. Do you think these people like
0: Elon Musk? I mean, they've been shouting for years and years that we need to crack down on fake news on Twitter and get rid of all this, you know, nonsense and misleading stories and and kind of things that that lead people astray. And then Elon Musk did the biggest thing you could ever do to tackle fake news last week, David. He banned a load of journalists from CNN, and they still weren't happy. You know, um, I'm joking, of course, mm. but like the the
1: the. For once, what strikes me a bit more, and and, the and of course vibe. he li- he he lifted those suspensions, and uh, he was concerned for the safety of his family, um, because his plane is getting tracked and people. Uh, were putting up on uh, Twitter where his plane is at any given time and where he's landing. Uh, apparently, this is publicly available information if you really know how to go looking. And a few journalists were retweeting this. Um, and so he decided to suspend all these. And then he reversed it because he realized he had made a mistake. But all the kind of pearl-clutching because he suspended a number of accounts and they were egging Twitter on in, in the previous regime to suspend accounts galore.
0: I had to kick them all off myself and get them off, to be honest with you. Well, I mean, he had to let Pordono Sullivan back on, of course, or else he'd have had Ryan Tuberty to answer to. <laughs> um, you know, it's uh, it's 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 just one of those things where, again, the media's biggest concern always is for the status of journalism. And so, when when Twitter bans the elected sitting president of the United States, and I should say for the record, I think the the president at the time, President Trump, not to my taste at all. I think his behavior was appalling. But Twitter decided to ban the elected president of the United States. These people all cheered. Twitter decides to ban some blue tick journal who works at CNN for rebooting personal information. But don't the know, they suspended CN- them. Well, well, they thought it was a ban at the time they were mm. reacting to it. It turned mm. out to be a suspension. Um, it's the end of civilization. Social media hmm. as we know it is over. Free speech is dead, David. It's dead if a journalist can't if can't, a journalist can't send snarky tweets. Yeah, but,
1: but they some, wouldn't have if
0: uh, some doctor questions COVID vaccines and gets banned. Oh well, so that's well, You know, you're you're not entitled to a platform. They're only entitled to your views, but we don't have to carry them.
1: And if it, they were conservative journalists, it would have been a different matter. So it's not even about journalism, it's about the ideology. It's yeah. about the great narrative. As it's, usual.
0: It, it it is. It's incredible, I, you know. We could talk about it all all night, but I mean, this is why Elon Musk, I think, I mean, and again, a little bit erratic, that whole thing about doing a poll about whether he'd step down or not, it struck me a little bit like, as I said on Twitter, late 90s era World Wrestling Federation, where Vincent McMahon would say, I'm resigning as the chairman, and then the next day, like some hated heel wrestler would take his place, and it had been a plan all along. So I suspect we're going to get some CEO to take Musk's place and everything like that. But I think, by and large, he's been he's been good. He's been refreshing. He's exposing a lot of things that a lot of people suspected were happening, that we now know were happening. And
1: and this, by the way, is the guy who um, has uh, uh, mass-produced electric cars and um, all these Teslas, which you see in middle-class areas, and now he's the bad guy. Even though he's the fellow, as I say, who, you know, used American subsidies from the government to set up this massively successful electric car company, who they ought to love. Because his politics aren't, aren't the right politics, they've now grown to hate him. And in fact, he's been turned into such a villain now that he seems to be replacing Trump. Reinvigorated space travel.
0: Mm-hmm. It basically, basically made space travel a thing again. And
1: mm-hmm. um, completely... might, might yet
0: land people on Mars completely created an entirely new industry in terms of satellite internet and and, and solved the ability like, did one of the most rev he I mean, doesn't get enough credit for what starlink is in terms of the way it's revolutionizing internet access across the world by giving people And helping Ukrainian access.
1: soldiers to keep in touch with each other on the front lines
0: yes all of those things but no here is the thing the ultimate lesson of the world we live in today though is that all of the good that you you do you can do all those things you can create Prove that mass market electric cars are not as bad as John McGurk says they are, even though I'm completely convinced. (laughs) You can can bring spaceflight back to reality. You can revolutionize internet access. You can do all of those things. But if you do not hold and express the correct political views, they will try and destroy you
1: in this culture. Mm -hmm. Elon Musk is the evidence of it. These people cannot tolerate dissent. I mean, final comment uh because we're kind of running out of our um self-imposed time is uh and this is you know the nerdiest possible reference um elon musk is a glitch in the matrix and agent smith is moving in to eliminate him <laughs> okay by discrediting him as much as they possibly can and hopefully driving him off twitter and force him into a humiliating fire sale where he loses 30 billion or something that's the aim here and we all know it. And then restore normal service, which is ideological bias in there, which will be the same ideological bias as almost the whole rest of the media.
0: But that's the beauty of having 44 billion and not worrying if you're going to lose it. I mean, if you're in that <laughs> position, I mean, you know, it's it's the that is the the beauty of this position. People are saying, oh, Elon Musk is losing billions of dollars. Folks, the good news is Elon Musk could lose $100 billion and still be richer than, still have more wealth than the entirety of the Irish economy. Anyway, we'll leave it there. If you were good enough to tune in this week of all, weeks and listen to us. We're very, very grateful. We hope we entertained you, if not informed you, but hopefully some mixture of the two. Um, We may or may not be around next week, Christmas week, and we've all had busy lives, but we'll definitely be back one way or the other in the first week of January. But for now, from David, I think, I'm pretty sure actually, and from me, we want to wish you the happiest and most peaceful of Christmases and all the success you can possibly wish for in the new year. But for now, as ever, that, my friends, was the week of 3D Love.